broadcasting live from the beautiful Sheridan Grand at Wild Horse Pass for Conscious Capitalism 2019. It's time for CEO Exclusive. Now, here's your host, Suini Co. We're continuing our live broadcast from the Conscious Capitalism Conference 2019 here in Phoenix. You're listening to CEO Exclusive, and I am really delighted to have in this segment Professor Raj Sisodia, he's the other co-author of the Conscious Capitalism book, like the book that launched the movement, one of the books that launched the movement, and he's also a professor um, at Babson College. So um, welcome to the show, Raj. Thank you, Sohini. Happy to be with you. Yeah. So I asked um, Kip and John, and I would always also love to ask you, as one of the fathers of this movement, where would you say that we are? Like how, how like in the grand scheme, 10,000 foot view, because you have the 10,000 foot view, where would you say that we are in this, in this movement? Well, I think in the uh, 10 or 11 years that we've been around, I think we've made a fair amount of progress, but also the world has shifted around us. You know, it's some, somewhat coincidentally happened that we launched right around the time of the great financial crisis. And that was not by design. You know, our, our efforts were underway uh, before all of that happened. But we were kind of born in that uh, sort of um, you know, pivotal moment in our economic history. And for a while, a lot of people were in survival mode, right? So a lot of people weren't paying attention at that time because they're just trying to make sure their business survives. But I think as time has gone on and as many of the underlying trends uh, that have existed uh, have become more accentuated, right? The hunger for meaning and purpose, for example, with the rise of the millennial generation, the uh, increasing concerns around the world about inequality, uh, all of the political upheavals that we have seen here and in Europe uh, and in Brazil and a number of other countries, showing a dissatisfaction with the status quo and the outcomes of traditional capitalism, that people have become more sensitized, that the old way is not working. And that message has become even more powerful for a lot of people. So they're searching. There's a greater searching today for an alternative. I think a couple of years ago, I said the, the most uh, frequently searched words that entire year uh, in Merriam-Webster word, one was capitalism and one was socialism. So people are mm. really in that inquiry mode. So I would say that the world has moved in a way towards us because people are looking for answers, looking for alternative paradigms. And we have also matured and evolved in terms of our presence uh, in about 18 countries now and about 37 U.S. cities. We have more events. Uh, we have a Conscious Capitalism Europe conference, mm-hmm. the second one happening this year. Uh, September. Just had, yeah, we just had the uh, first Conscious Capitalism Latin America conference a few weeks ago in Brazil. So I think it's, it's gaining ground and, um, and, and deepening and enriching as well <clears throat> as, we, as we get further into this journey of what does it mean to be a conscious business and where can we take that? What's the natural evolution of that? So I'm thinking and writing about that in terms of... Uh, Know, what's the next stage of being a conscious business, which I'm thinking of now in terms of healing. And I feel our world needs, a, we can get into that if you like, but our world needs a lot of healing right now and business has to play its role. Mm. Yes, I would love to, to, to talk to you about, about healing. But let's go back to a comment that you just made because it's come up almost as a theme, I would say, of the, the, this conference and the conversations I've had is this reaction from socialism. And so what do you say to people who are searching and who said, have this, you know, are thinking that socialism is an answer to some of the societal ills that they're observing in the economic system now? Yeah. You know, the diagnosis is correct, but the prescription, unfortunately, is not going to work. You know, mm. socialism has this uh, sort of enduring appeal, this kind of a romanticism to it. There's a, 
there's a Robin there's a, Hood, right? Yeah. The Robin Hood thing. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I like the way Jonathan Haidt, who's a professor at NYU, frames it: that capitalism promises and actually delivers on this idea of dynamism, right? It's about creative destruction. It's about innovation. It's about the best thing winning, right? And but you know, within that, there's winners and losers, and there's upheavals, and there's uh, you know things that are made obsolete and so forth. But it does work in that in that regard. Socialism promises decency. Everybody's going to have their basic needs met. We'll have education, we'll have health care, we'll have uh, you know, housing and, and food and so forth, right? Uh, but the problem is it's not, has not been shown to be able to dem- uh, consistently actually deliver on decency. And it devolves into tyranny and it devolves into a sharing of misery in many ways. Yeah, you, you can't force people path. to do stuff. Like, you just yeah. can't. And it puts an enormous amount of power in the hands of government. Hmm. And, you know, power corrupts. We know that. And, you know, in, in the government especially it corrupts because there's no accountability and there's no competition, right? You're a monopoly if you're a government. And so, uh, you know, I mean, that's human nature and that's, that's our historical experience that any form of uh, socialism really hasn't worked if you really look at overall human flourishing. So what we want, however, is we do want decency. We don't want to give up on decency, but we are given this bipolar choice. That either you can have capitalism with all its dynamism, but no, um, no real emphasis on decency, and hence the, the tremendous income gaps and sort of the victims and what exploitation. We heard, what we heard today, like a hundred million Americans living paycheck to paycheck, you know, mm-hmm. in a, you know the richest country in the world at a time of economic boom. Two thirds of our people, literally full time employees, are living, you know, barely surviving. So we think that that's one choice, and the other choice is all the way to socialism. But what we really want is is dynamism with decency. And we think the answer for that is to evolve. We need to celebrate, but also then elevate capitalism. Because capitalism is rooted in fundamental human uh, instincts and, and capacities in a positive way, right? Socialism, in, can, and which can lead to communism and uh, you know, government dictatorships, is kind of a system of tyranny. It's almost a system of slavery in a way, and it saps people of their motivation. So what we need to do is to, is to uh, build this on, on human freedom and dignity, and give people the opportunity through that to actually express themselves and create value for each other and do it with consciousness so that we're not creating conditions where people are being used and exploited and abused for some people to make money. So we need to, as I said, recognize the power that capitalism has, what it has done, even with its flaws. Mm-hmm. You know, all the negative things that we can talk about. The fact is that billions of people have been lifted out of extreme abject poverty and you know, probably billions of people are alive today because of it. You know, they would not have survived under the old system. We would not have had enough food or, you know, we would not be able to sustain life in the way that we have. But we are today, for the first time, I think, in our existence uh, as a species, facing an existential threat. You know, I like to use the phrase from Mark Twain, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And, And that indeed is true today. It is the best time in human history to be born a human being. You have better chances of being educated, of having a you know, meaningful life, of having all the kinds of things, being safe, you know, not being killed, not dying an early death from disease. All those things are true. But it's also the worst of times because we face an existential threat to our very survival on this planet. And the way, which direction we're going to go depends on how we rethink business. If we continue down the path we're on, we will destroy you know, everything that sustains life in the pursuit of those profits you know, for some people. But if we change it, then this is the system that harnesses human ingenuity and human passion and human energies 
in a way that will address all the challenges. I mean, all the answers are actually already with us. Mm. We just have to create the systems where we can actually scale those and deploy those. Mm. Even the business case is pretty strong. I mean, there's a wonderful new book uh, edited by Paul Hawken called Drawdown, which is 100 solutions <clears throat> to reverse climate change, not just to halt it or slow it down. And 80 of them are shown already to have economic viability and technological feasibility today. And the other 20 are just around the corner. Right? So everything from energy to food to transportation to housing, everything. We've got, the, you know, as the, as the expression goes, the future is already here. It's just unevenly distributed. Right? So we have, to, we have to create the institutions that are going to be able to bring that, you know, in a mass way. And that's, that's going to be business. So these businesses that heal, so it, it is going to take healing businesses to, to do exactly what you're talking about. Yes. How, do, how do these businesses become healing businesses? Well, you know, we say the macrocosm is a reflection of the microcosm. So it's the consciousness of the leaders of these businesses, uh, especially the founders and the current leaders as well. Uh, if you have leaders who themselves are not healed, who are operating from a place of some kind of trauma, who are, you know, as they say, hurt people, hurt other people, right? So they're going to use the business and, and sort of play out their own inner, inner turmoil and inner uh, lack of security or they're operating from fear, you know, all the kinds of things. But if we have leaders who have done that work, who have elevated their consciousness, who have healed themselves, and who see the business as a vehicle for expressing uh, what they are trying to bring to, to the world, you know, expressing their values and their purpose, then I think that inherently becomes a healing organization. Right? So the, the, the consciousness of the leader gets multiplied and manifested through the organization. And if you are coming with a mentality or a mindset of serving people and taking care of people through whatever avenue you choose to do that, it could be food, as in the case of Whole Foods, it could be storage and organization when it comes to container store, it could be air travel when it comes to Southwest Airlines, any of it, doesn't matter what it is. But you're doing that with an orientation to truly caring for people, taking care of their needs, understanding the sources of their suffering and alleviating those, and bringing a lot of joy then that will fundamentally heal people in those dimensions. And I think that's the mindset. We have to, you know, businesses operate on, on sort of these two engines of the, of the of an airplane, right? There's self-interest, but there's also the human need to care and to express care, right? We have a capacity, but also a need to, to express caring. And Adam Smith, in fact, articulated that as well. I mean, he articulated the self-interest and the uh, power of free markets, right, and individuals meeting their own or pursuing their own self-interest will end up creating the conditions where we all get lifted up. But he also wrote a book about the need to care. And, and these two have to go together, because we only pursue self-interest, we're going to really use and abuse people, right? But if you only care for people, then we're not going to be able to create the sustainable engines of value creation. Because if we can't sustain ourselves, we will, you know, in, the, in, in caring for others, we need to be able to sustain ourselves as well. So we need to have these two things working together in the right order. We need to lead with the energy of caring, Right, and make sure that our own livelihood is sustained through that so we can keep doing it at scale, as opposed to the other way around, which is that I'm just going to use you to achieve my self-interest right? and then pretend to care about you, but I don't really. I think if we can get that right, you know, I think that every business can then operate in a way that, that is fundamentally caring and, and healing. So it's very interesting that you bring up the, the, the healing that has to happen at the the leadership level, because that's not sexy work, right? That's just not, not, not easy. It's profound work. It's yeah. not, it, yeah. and it's, it's profound and it's not easy. Yes. Um, 
and studies have shown um, that somewhere between like 60 to 80 percent of people go through some sort of really major trauma before age 10. Yes. Um, And so, you know, that's what I think, as you've said, is leading to people having a scarcity mindset, you know, is having people lead from fear that is producing all this wealth and, you know, on a macro level is producing the wealth and inequality and using capitalism for exploitation rather than service. And so how do you think about the individual leader, the individual CEO who might be listening to this show? Who's just like, I am not going to do any trauma work. (laughs) Like, like don't Mm. even go there. (laughs) You know, I'm not interested. You can't make me. I don't want to. Yeah. I think, you know, we need people who are psychologically mature, who are self-reflective, right, who are searching for, you know, for a better way to be and to improve themselves. I mean, I know that in the process of writing this book uh, on healing, I had to go through my own healing. That realization came to me and some people who I trust, uh, you know, coach and some other people, essentially told me that you know yeah, you can't be a fat personal trainer yeah so don't <laughs> rush to write this book work on yourself work on healing understand healing more deeply and experience various healing modalities whether it's going in the himalayas or going in the amazon rainforest or going on a silent retreat or working with a coach or having a better you know spiritual uh, contemplation practices you know meditation and so forth and all of that work had a huge impact on me to be able to bring that into into this work, and, and, and similarly, I think any leader, if they work on themselves, they have a they have an obligation, they have a duty. It's not about themselves. Mm. You see, true conscious leaders are selfless. They have to transcend the narrow self. They have to be there in service of those who they lead, and that's that's what defines a leader. I mean, a leader who's using other people to achieve their personal goals. That's not a leader. That's a tyrant. Mm. Right? So, if you call yourself a leader, that means your job is to take people to a better place. Right? And the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you for yourself are in a place. Now, that doesn't mean you're completely healed. I don't think we ever fully get completely healed, right? But that's a journey. And as long as you're on that journey and evolving and you don't stop, right? I mean, there's a continual possibility. Uh, as John Mackey has said, every time he got stuck in his life, Whole Foods got stuck. Mm. Well, the company could not break through the barrier that John himself became for the mm-hmm. company. So he had to continually work to elevate his consciousness to the next level and the next level and the next level. And that just keeps going, right? So I think people have to have that humility and that, you know, it's, it's fear that's actually preventing them from acknowledging this because you don't want to confront. You don't want to open that closet and see what's inside, right? But until you do, and, and the wonderful thing is it will pay off enormous dividends, not only in terms of effectiveness as a leader, but in terms of you know, your personal happiness and peace of mind and impact on your children and families and everybody else, right? Mm -hmm. So it's all connected together. The person you are is the leader you are. Mm -hmm. So you Mm -hmm. have to work on that. And I think that is is something that in this book we're trying to uh, convey to people as a leader. We want to be a healing leader. And as you said very, very accurately that PTSD is a condition that is almost universal, Right? We think it's only for people coming back from Afghanistan or Vietnam, <clears throat> but it's actually everybody, as you said, has traumas. And some of them are quite predictable. What happens when you're very young? What happens when you're a teenager? What happens when you're a young adult? There are some passages that result in some kind of you know, trauma, and there are ways to heal all that. Right? But as James Baldwin said, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. 
And we have to, as individuals and especially as leaders, face up to the reality of you know, what we have to deal with and how we have to improve that. Great. So closing thought, what is your final thought for the CEOs listening to this show? What do you want to leave them with? I would say look at the people you lead and look at their lives and get a sense of the reality of their existence and find out how much silent suffering exists in your organization. Mm. You know, what I find is that people are incredible. People are stoic. People are heroic. They're carrying around burdens that would crush many others. That would Mm. crush the leader if if that leader knew what what somebody that he sees every day is actually dealing with. Right? Could be a parent with Alzheimer's. Could be a child with an opioid addiction. Could be the fact that, uh, you know, she's got $160 in the bank and doesn't know how she'll make it through the the end of the month. So what are those sources of stress and suffering? And find ways to surface them and then ways to help. We don't do that. You know, in most companies, the people who are the most... uh, you know, challenged and struggling with the biggest burden actually get the least amount of empathy and, and, and care and, uh, and, and ways to alleviate that, right? And we have 25 stories in this book of companies that actually sought out, you know, those sources of suffering and tried to bring them to the surface and then did something about it and expressed their caring and allowed people to express caring for each other and the dramatic impacts that has not only on people's peace of mind, on their well-being, on all of the sort of physical symptoms that follow from having that kind of stress, but also in terms of employee engagement, in terms of productivity, in terms of presenteeism, in terms of absenteeism, in terms of healthcare costs. I mean, every, you know, when you do good things, other good things result, Mm. you know, when you do it for the right reasons, do the right things for the right reasons, and put people, you know, front and center. So, Look for and alleviate sources of unnecessary suffering and then look for ways to bring more joy Mm. into the workplace. And all along, be doing all that for yourself too. Have a parallel inner journey going on while you have this outer journey going on in the organization. Great. You didn't actually tell us about the book. You said this book, but what is the book and when is it coming out? So the book is called The Healing Organization, uh, Awakening the Conscience of Business to Help Save the World. Mm. So we're using the word conscience now instead of conscious, right? Because there is a conscience that can get numbed. You know, uh, sometimes, as they say, you will, you will see it when you believe it. And if we don't want to see certain things, you know, we just won't see them. But if you believe that, yeah, there is suffering. So we need to awaken that conscience for people to actually... One of our leaders uh, that we interviewed, when he found out that uh, one of the full-time employees in his company was a single mother who had lost her apartment because the ex-husband stopped paying alimony, and she was living in a car for two weeks before she could turn to the company for help. And they had a program designed to help people, right? And it took her two weeks to even make the call. And when he saw what she wrote, she said, I'm sorry, I just can't do this to my children anymore. I'm so sorry, but I need help. And his feeling, he said, only thing I felt was a deep sense of shame. So what kind of a leader am I? I'm running a company. She works full-time for me. She has a mother, and she's homeless, and she can't even tell us. Right? What kind of a culture have I created here? You know? So that's awakening the conscience of a leader. And I think that's what we need to do. So in this book, we have about 25 of sto- uh, stories like that. You know, we were in tears numerous times just writing this book, my co-author and I. And everybody who reads it is deeply, deeply impacted by it because these are all very human stories. And then at the end of all of that, we do extract from that, like how do we now become a healing organization? How do you become a healing leader? What are the common elements that come out of all of this? And then we end with a healing pledge, 
you know, that you commit to from this day forward, not inflicting these kinds of suffering, right? And uh, and op- always operating from love and care, and so forth. So, right. it's the uh, it's my eleventh book, and I would have to say the most emotionally engaged work that I've ever been part of. Mm. You know, I feel more uh, connected to this and more moved by it than anything else I've done. Awesome. Well, thank you for stopping by CEO Exclusive to share it with us. I know thank that you're you. very busy and many people thank want you. your time. So thank you so much, Raj. You're very, very welcome, Soini. Thank you for doing this.